of God in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 5. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17 through to verse 26, and is found on page 1033 of the Pew Bibles. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. <clears throat> Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Quick kick of the guitar. Good morning, church. Thank you, Elizabeth. Upside down, kingdom living. We're continuing our studies in Luke. And in the verses just before the ones that Liz just read to us, Jesus has gathered together the people who are following him. They are corporately known to us as disciples. But these are not the disciples. These are just a large gathering. But out of that gathering, Jesus has spent the night in prayer and asked God, which ones do you want me to have? 
well, technically all of them, but he needed a group of men who would be with him. And he chose those 12. Now, the first thing that happens, it seems to be on the same day that they get chosen, that our reading takes place. How many of you have ever been in school where they ask to choose teams? Hands down. How many of you got chosen first? Not a single hand is up. Oh dear, I'm not going to be able to talk about that, am I? Because most of us have the experience that we've kind of chosen towards the end, yes? And if there's two of you left and there's two captains and they're looking, you can have her. You can have her. Imagine being chosen first. That was the lot of the 12 disciples. So here they are. Yeah. Jesus chose us. He could have had any of them, but hey, I'm in. What happens next? Well, Jesus speaks to a large crowd, may have looked something like this. There is a bit of confusion because this sort of teaching happens in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, yes, and here in Luke. And in Matthew, he's the Sermon on the... Here it talks about a level place. What's going on? Well, it could be that Jesus spoke from the top or the bottom. I happen to think it's more likely in this case that he spoke from the plain and the bottom and used the hill as a natural amphitheater. But I'll leave you to think that one through. Whatever it was, he had a large crowd. And Luke tells us that they have gathered for four reasons. How many? Four. Four. Number one, simply to hear Jesus. Word is spread, we want to go and hear this guy. But secondly, they want to be healed of diseases. Oh boy, word is seriously spreading now about this guy who can actually heal diseases. Oh, and then, guess what? He helps you if you're troubled by evil spirits. Wow, big deal. And the fourth one was simply to touch him. I want you to think for a moment what it must have been like for that size of a crowd to suddenly want to touch. Reach out and touch. I'm not going to burst into song, don't worry. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like... <sighs> Excuse me, Greg. He's got hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. They've come from a long way away just to reach out and touch him. What would we call that in today's culture? There's a picture on screen of the back of Barack Obama's head. But can you see the people who are desperately trying to reach this guy? I am sure that photograph was probably taken before he became president. I don't think the Secret Service would have allowed them anywhere close to him. But here, he is what we call pressing the flesh. Yes? And this group of people wanted to do exactly that to Jesus. It's heady stuff. These 12 guys have just been chosen. Hey, I'm part of this. Yeah, maybe they'll want to teach, touch me. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Yes, all good stuff. 
Our reading tells us that Jesus looked at them. And what does he tell them? Not, stick with me, kid, it's only going to get better. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Four attitudes. That's why we call them the B attitudes. And what is he saying? Blessed. Some translations say happy. Happy are you when you are poor, hungry, weeping, and hated for God's sake. Uh, excuse me, us 12, we didn't sign up for this. We signed up for the celebrity culture bit, please. What do you say? Poor? What have we just signed up for? Hungry? Not sure I like that. We're fishermen. We can get fish. Any, why, why would we be hungry? Uh, weeping? Don't want to do that. And what's this bit about being hated for God's sake? I'm not sure I would have wanted to sign up for that. Maybe I would have stood back if I, God said, I'll choose you. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't want to commit to that lifestyle. But notice very carefully the tiny words of scripture. And in this, what struck me was the tense. You know, past tense, present tense, future tense. What does it say? Those who were poor had already the kingdom of God. And I don't normally associate the word poor with kingdom. If I think of the word kingdom in an earthly sense, it's going to be involving crowns, wealth, crown jewels, kingly stuff. But Jesus is saying those who are poor have God's kingdom. Don't know about that. Okay. Those who are hungry would be satisfied. There's a difference, isn't there, between being peckish and being hungry. I'm, I'm often peckish, but I'm very, very, really, genuinely hungry. So what kind of hunger is God talking about here? Those who would weep would laugh. How many of you know the difference between crying and weeping? I tell you, there is a very, very big difference. Weeping comes from the gut. Weeping is something you think, oh, never going to be right again. The last thing you imagine when you're weeping is that you could ever laugh. And those who are hated, excluded, insulted, even to the point of being called evil because they follow Jesus, would be able to rejoice and leap for joy. Imagine if you're hated for being a Christian, excluded, personally insulted, called evil, you're going to jump for joy, aren't you? Probably not. How do you think those disciples are thinking, hearing this? Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. Dear friend used to say to me, that sounds like pie in the sky when you die. I'd rather have steak on my plate while I wait. <laughs> that must have felt like so far away, it's almost not worth considering about. Well, at first glance, 
They seem like really stupid statements. They're opposites. I think the Dowager Duchess of Grantham would say, don't be ridiculous. You can't possibly be serious. When I am feeling that bad, it can't be possible to be blessed or happy. In fact, it might even be very confusing. Any of you recognize that painting? It's by the Dutch artist Eschler, and it's called Relativity. And any way you go up those stairs is going to look really weird. Because all the perspectives, yet you're all, I can see your heads are going like this. It's very weird. And sometimes the principles of God seem equally weird. But let me tell you something. They're not because they're all talking about hope. You already have God's kingdom. You will be satisfied. You will be able to laugh and you will be able to wildly rejoice because God gives you hope. He's not saying you can't feel what you're feeling. It's unspiritual. He's saying wherever that is, you have hope. You've gone really really quiet on me. It's almost as if God is hammering home through Jesus that his kingdom is a kingdom of opposites. Yeah? Where there is weeping, there will be laughter. He really rams that home in the second part of the passage where it talks about the woes. Woe is you. I, I struggled with that until I read it in the Message Bible. If you haven't got access to one, get access to one. Because it really helps. Listen to what it says. From verse 24. It's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you'll get. Now that's saying about the woe to those who are rich. I don't think for a second God is slamming anyone if they've got money. It's what they do with the money and how they feel towards it, their attitudes towards it. If you rely on money, you're in trouble. If you steward money for the kingdom, you are blessed. See the difference? It's not money, but it's the attitude towards riches. Verse 25, it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself, for yourself will not satisfy you for very long. It's trouble ahead if you think life is all fun and games. There is suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. But this is what struck me. There is trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scandal preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. Oh, now do you know why I like to read it in the message? It's not a truth. It's not a popularity contest. It's a truth. Popularity, you see, is no guarantee of truth, is it? I, I hate going on about social media, but we have so many fake news items because they're popular, because so many people have clicked on them, doesn't make them true. Human flattery is not the same as God's approval. Yeah? In the world, riches 
are often based on our concept of wealth. Cash. That played John Wicker. My heart soared when I saw that. Like, yes. That, that's kingdom values. I know many of you will know the wonderful man, Billy Graham. Um, but Well, not personally, maybe, but you know of him. But in his crusades, he often had somebody sing a solo. And that somebody was a lovely, lovely man called George Beverly Shea. Some of you are nodding. And George used to sing one song which really blessed my heart. It says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And I thought, isn't that wonderful? This is not a new story. We've read part of it in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah encourages the people, get your priorities right. Listen to Isaiah 58 in the message. God says to Isaiah, tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family Jacob with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. And they ask me, what's the right thing to do? They love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way, God? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why, says God. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do will not get your prayers off the ground. You think that's the kind of fast day I'm after? No, this is the kind of fast day I'm after, says God, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in is seeing you share your food with the hungry, invite the homeless poor into your homes, put others on the shiver, sorry, put clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families, do this, and the lights will turn on. Oh, that's not often what happens in the world, is it? They're ignored, despised, excluded. They would be the last people on the team. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, I want you to be living right side up in an upside down world. Yeah? I think many of you would agree that our world is a bit upside down at the moment. And it needs every one of us, every one of us, to think what are the principles of God that will enable us to live right side up. These disciples would later be called those who turned the world upside down. But I think he wants us to turn it right side up. I'm very conscious this morning that some of you may be in a situation where the last thing you feel like is jumping for joy. Where if it wasn't for the fact that you're in a public place, you would probably be weeping. So how can God say that's blessed? How can he say you're happy? Well, 
Remember the tenses? Woe to those who trust in themselves and in their riches. It's almost like God calls a full stop and said, okay, you've had all you're going to get. You can't look forward because you've had all you're going to get. If you trust in yourself, it's like God says, okay, I'll back off. But if you trust in him, there is a future. And that future is called hope. In the middle of everything, God will give you hope. Hope of something that is far, far more than your current situation. Do you know, I think that those same disciples, three years later, must have stood around the cross of Jesus and considered what a colossal failure. What has this all been about? We call it Good Friday. But hey, if you're in their shoes, was it good? Anything but. Absolute. What have we poured everything into for this? It was Friday. It was horrible. And they thought, there's nothing that can change. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. Let that be your experience at the moment, that whatever I am in, it might feel like Friday. But in God, Sunday is coming. There is always something to hope for. Put your trust in him. Get your attitudes right so that you trust him. Every week we say the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Every week we come in and look at that. Your kingdom come. It's an upside-down kingdom as far as the world is concerned. If your trust is in riches or having masses of stuff or in the popularity of men, you might get it, but that will be it. But if you are in need, if you're feeling poor, if you're feeling unsatisfied, if you spent far too much time weeping and being slandered by men for doing the right thing, you can look with the eyes of faith to the God who holds your future. And in Philippians, we read this amazing words, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It cuts right through the confusion. Will, underline, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And my prayer for you this week is that you will realize that you are too blessed to be stressed. Amen.